Okay, this is uh, Pastor Adrian, and this is Line Upon Line. I just have a little technical problem here, so I'm just waiting for confirmation that I am actually broadcasting live. So this is uh, Life 101, where we live in faith every day. And the show is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. The prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, he says, or he asks, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So, so doctrine is not easily understood. It's those that hunger and thirst for righteousness that are going to understand true doctrine. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're going to search the scriptures, understanding that the instructions from God are not all in one place. We have to go here a little, there a little. There's a precept here, there's a precept there. They fit together one way. When we have the grand narrative of the Bible, we understand what God is saying. So we have to understand book by book, line by line, but at the same time, we have to put the whole thing together to get the full puzzle. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word line by line. It's time to be weaned from the milk, time for some strong meat. Let's really get into God's Word. So get your Bible and, and tell a friend about this study. Study together with a friend. In fact, call your pastor and ask your pastor to listen in and ask questions as well. Let's get into God's Word line upon line. We are up to Luke chapter 14. We'll open with a word of prayer and then we'll begin our study. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before this study because we want to thank you. We want to praise you. And we want to acknowledge you. Father, your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And there's so much deception in the world. We pray, Father, that you will protect us from deception, that you will lead us out of deception and into your truth. And so, Father, we approach this study with humility and with uh, just a great regard for you as our creator, who has spoken to man through your scripture. Bless our study, Father. Bless our understanding. Bless our hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We pray in the most holy name, the most powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. As I said, that we're into uh, Luke chapter 14. And what I want to do is just go back. In fact, uh, sorry, I should say we're in Luke 13. We didn't quite finish the chapter uh, last week, so we'll finish off Luke chapter 13, and then that will lead us into chapter 14. But before we finish off 13, I just want to go back to Luke 12 and verse 1, because this is where this theme of leaven is introduced by Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod upon one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he tells them what it is. So notice this in Luke 12. This is where we begin this theme of leaven. In Luke 12, verse 1, it is at the time when an innumerable multitude of people began to gather around him 
so much so that they trod upon one another. There were so many of them. They were just uh, stepping on top of, trampling on top of one another. That's how, imagine how big the crowd is. Jesus Christ was, was quite a spectacle in the day. And everybody wanted to be around him and see him and hear him and, and experience miracles from him. When all these multitudes were around him, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, Beware. There's something very dangerous. There's something that can destroy you. You need to be aware of it. He says, Beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he tells them what it is, which is hypocrisy. So this is a very serious statement. We cannot, this very serious warning from the Lord. So we cannot ever let this warning leave our minds. So from this point forward in our lives, we have to be very, very serious about preventing the leaven of the Pharisees. And again, I, several times uh, as we do these studies, I keep repeating the importance of understanding God's holy days. And there's a whole holy day season, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where the focus is understanding the power of leaven and the importance of getting leaven out of our lives. And, and this is why we need to keep these holy days, because the whole plan of God is wrapped up in these days. And as we keep them year over year, we get a deeper understanding of what it is God wants us to understand. And the ministers, the true ministers of God, are instructed to preach in season. So there's a season. Each season there's a focus. And in the days of unleavened bread, there's a focus on understanding the power of leaven and how to ensure we get leaven out of our lives. But he tells us here that this leaven is hypocrisy. Okay, so let's keep that as a note. Now, we were in chapter 13 last week. And uh, it opens, the chapter opens with the, this, uh, these tragedies being reported of these Galileans and these people in Jerusalem who have suffered great calamity. And Christ repeats it in here in chapter uh, 13, verse 5, that don't, don't think that they're some sort of specially evil people, and that's why they suffered calamity. He says, I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So remember from chapter 12, he's surrounded by all these multitudes and he turns to his disciples and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. This, this will destroy you. And now these people are coming to report this, these tragedies to him. And he says, look, don't think that they were especially evil. All of you are evil. Because when he looks at the multitudes, that's what he sees. He sees people who are evil. And these are, these are Jews. These are his people. He sees people who are evil and who are going to be destroyed if they do not repent. And so he's telling them, look, unless you repent, uh, you'll all perish in the same way. Then in chapter 14 of Luke 13, we read about the ruler of the synagogue, who, when, when this woman was doubled over, and she had been in this uh, horrible condition for 18 years, and Christ healed her. And then in verse 14 of Luke 13, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. He was angry. How dare Christ heal this woman on the Sabbath? So the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. So they had very strict rules, and he's the ruler, and nothing, all these things that must not happen on the Sabbath. And then Christ went ahead and healed this woman on the Sabbath. He was furious. And then he doesn't speak to Christ. He says to the people. So he's really trying to call Christ out and embarrass Christ. He speaks to the people and says, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. He's just so righteous that, you know, 
Jesus Christ isn't righteous and he doesn't know any better. But since I know better, listen to me and come on the six days, because this is healing is work, and, and don't come on the seventh. And that way we can control this person who doesn't really understand the will of God. Verse 15, the Lord then answered him, even though he wasn't speaking to Christ, he was speaking to the people. The Lord then answered him and said, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. So he's already warned the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And now here's one of these Pharisees saying, you know, I'm just so righteous that I want to help you people to be as righteous as me. So come during the six days of the week, but don't come on the Sabbath because, you know, you'll be, work should be done six days, not on the seventh. Christ then calls him out in front of all the people. You hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? So the, the animals that they have, and this was an agrarian economy, so their wealth was in their animals, and uh, their, their livelihood was in their animals. And so on the Sabbath, when the animal needs to be watered, they're going to do the work of going to the stall and loosening the animal from the stall and walking it over to the water so that it can be fed and watered, and then leading it back. So he calls him out and says, look, you're a hypocrite, because you're telling these people do no work on the Sabbath, and yet on the Sabbath you do this. So then he says, look, if you're going to be kind to your animals, then uh, in verse 16 he says, and ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, so Christ is very focused on the covenant community, and he's not just healing any and anybody, he is healing those in the covenant community. And so he says to the, the Pharisee, the, the ruler of the synagogue, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So you'll loose your animal from a bond on the Sabbath day, but you, you, you are angry, full of indignation, when a daughter of Abraham, who's been bound for 18 years, that she's loosed on the Sabbath day? You are a hypocrite. You have The, the compassion that you have for your animal is greater than the compassion that you have for a daughter of Abraham. And in fact, the only reason you have compassion on your animal is because it's, it, it benefits you economically. So you're really a very selfish human being. And this is the hypocrisy that Christ is now exposing, which is leaven. Now, this is important. Now, I'm, I'm spending a bit of time emphasizing this before we get into the next chapter. Because I really want to be clear here that Christ is underlying the power of leaven. That it's something that's hidden. You don't see it. All of these people have been uh, subject to this ruler of the synagogue, thinking he's some kind of holy man, and he's full of hypocrisy, he's full of leaven, and Christ is exposing it after warning his disciples to beware of this leaven. Now, with that as context, we come to chapter, which is verse 18. And in verse 18, he says, Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? So how do I help you folks understand what this kingdom of God is like? Let, let me think on this. How, how do I get this across to you? Okay, I want you to understand this. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took 
and cast it into his garden. And it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The man is God the Father. The grain of mustard seed is Jesus Christ. And God the Father takes Christ and puts Christ into his garden, which is Israel. So he puts Christ in Israel, and from this very small... In other words, the kingdom of God begins from this one individual, the smallest point, starting point from a single human being, the Christ. And this is where the kingdom of God begins. And it grows from Christ. And it then waxes into a great tree, so much so that the fowls of the air lodge in the branches of it. So now it can benefit mankind. But it starts, it starts somewhere in the smallest of places, in the single individual, which is Christ. Having said that, and again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? And in verse 21, he now says, it's like leaven. So after telling his brethren, his disciples, to beware of leaven, that leaven is hypocrisy, and then exposing the leaven in the ruler of the synagogue, now he says that the kingdom of God is like leaven. So the disciples are very clear, leaven is not a good thing. And so he tells them now, after telling them that it's like a mustard seed, he says it's also like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. So, you know, throughout the Bible, there are two women. One is the righteous woman, the virgin, who is preparing herself to marry Christ. And the other is the whore, the evil one, who is, who is drunk on the blood of the saints and is, is, is the source of false worship. And so this woman is the whore. This woman is the false church. And she comes along and she hides this leaven, which is hypocrisy. Christ has already told us what it is. It's hypocrisy. She hides it in three measures of meal. So the three measures of meal, well, we know the two measures. One measure is Israel. Another measure is Judah. The third measure are the Gentiles who are grafted in. And in all three measures, the false woman, the false church, the false religion, the false ideology is successful in infiltrating and hiding leaven till the whole was leavened. So this is, this is, Christ is making it clear that the kingdom of God prevails with these two uh, contradictory forces, these two competing forces. On the one hand, we have Christ who is pure. And the kingdom of God really begins with him because of the failure of Israel and the failure of Judah. And so God sends him to earth. And from this humble starting point, the kingdom of God begins. And it grows from there. And he tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So if you're going to be part of my growth, if you're going to be part of the kingdom that I'm building, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. At the same time, the leaven is effective. Because the devil's woman comes along and infiltrates and hides hypocrisy in the three measures of meal. So that God's people fail repeatedly because of hypocrisy. 
So beware of the leaven, because ultimately it's going to overtake all three measures. And even though the devil is doing that, Christ will be successful in establishing the kingdom, because he will have disciples who will be aware and cautious surrounding hypocrisy. Verse 22, and he went through the synagogue, through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So he's on a mission, and he's now heading for Jerusalem because he must establish the kingdom upon his sacrifice, upon his death, upon his, his atonement offering. Verse 23, now, the disciples, they weren't confused. He's already told them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Then he exposes the leaven to show them what this hypocrisy looks like. Then he says the kingdom of God is like leaven. It's like a woman that, it's like a mustard seed, but it's also like leaven. And, and the leaven is hidden, and then it overtakes. And so the disciple in verse 23 then said, One unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? He understood exactly what Christ was saying, that leaven will overtake all three measures. This hypocrisy will overtake all three measures. And so he's scratching his head and he's saying, well, does that mean there's only a few that will be saved? And Christ then answers. And he said unto them, and he's saying, yes, this is the case. And he answered and said unto them, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this verse 28 is connected to the fact that the kingdom of God is like leaven. That, that, that it starts with the mustard seed, but then the woman comes and hides the leaven in the church. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. Why would they be thrust out? Because of the leaven. Because of hypocrisy. Because they've allowed themselves to be subjected to hypocrisy. And this is, again, why it's so important that you learn the holy days of God. Stop keeping Christmas. Stop keeping Easter. Stop keeping Valentine's Day. Stop keeping Halloween. These are all pagan holidays that mean nothing. We must really come to understand what it is God. God, God came from heaven to earth. And he came to teach us something. And we must learn what it is that he came to teach us. And he's saying, he's showing them here that the kingdom of God is coming. But many are going to be thrust out. He, he, the disciple asks, like, okay, if the kingdom of God is like, if it's going to be like leaven, and it's going to overtake everything, are there few that are going to be saved? You beware, because there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. You know, so many of us think that God needs us. We need God. And people think, oh, because I'm Judah, because I'm Israel, because I'm a Christian, because I'm in the church, God can't do without me. Yeah, God can do without us. We need God. God doesn't need us. And so there will be people in the kingdom of God. This mustard seed will grow and it will be successful and there will be people from the kingdom of God. And God is going to gather Israel from all four corners of the earth. But these people here who, who are taking God for granted... He says, no, and unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And here's the perishing, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And behold, he says here, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. 
Don't take this thing for granted. Beware of leaven. Beware of it. Because even though he's talking to these people here and they're in multitude following him and they're all first to hear the message, they'll actually be last if they don't get rid of this leaven. And people who they would never imagine, Gentiles who they thought have nothing to do with God. In fact, when they hear the message and they repent and they get the leaven out of their lives, they'll actually be first. They'll be in the first fruits harvest. The same day, verse 31, there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get you out and depart quickly. Get you out and depart quickly, for Herod will kill you. So he's realizing Herod's going to come, you're teaching all these things, you're causing this disruption, Look, the king is going to come and kill you. And he said unto them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. So here this uh, Pharisee is realizing, look, you're in big trouble. King, King Herod, is, he, he's already beheaded John. He's going to come now, he's going to behead you. And Christ saying, look, I, I don't really care. Why do you go tell that fox that? Give, give the fox the news. Because, look, I have work to do. And in, in Luke 4, he told us what his work was. You see, he quoted Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, or 1 and 2a. And he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he is this Isaiahic servant, the humble servant, the suffering servant, who has come to perform the prophecies that Isaiah spoke of, of this perfect Israelite. And so that's why he's saying, look, I've got to cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and then the third day I shall be perfected. So I, in other words, I will be killed as the perfect sacrifice on the third day. But in the meantime, I've got to fulfill these prophecies that Isaiah said that this perfect servant, this suffering servant, this perfect Israelite will come and do. Nevertheless, I must, I must walk today. So I'm going to leave here, but it's not because I'm afraid of Herod. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be, it just cannot be, that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. So it can't be that Herod, I'm not afraid of death, but it's just that in order for the prophecies to be fulfilled, it cannot be that I'm going to die outside of Jerusalem. So I have to make it to Jerusalem because the curse is on Jerusalem. The tragedy that's coming is on Jerusalem. And so for that, for God to be fully justified in what's going to happen to Jerusalem, Christ is saying, I have to, I have to get to Jerusalem and I have to be slaughtered there. Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stones them that are sent unto you. Jerusalem, the, the, the headquarters of the spiritual nation. The place that God has chosen. <laughs> Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It has been overtaken by leaven. And therefore it kills the prophets. It doesn't want to hear what they have to say. It's arrogant. And it stones them that are sent unto you. How often would I have gathered your children together? As a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you wouldn't have it. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me 
until the time come when you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So this to be, on the one hand, there is so much leaven in Jerusalem that Christ says, Beware of this leaven. But it, there's so much arrogance in Jerusalem that they're going to slaughter Christ. And at the same time, Christ is making it clear that when the slaughter comes upon them, they're going to beg for his return. And they're going to acknowledge him. Revelation 1, I believe it's verse 7, says that, he come, Behold, he comes with clouds, and all eyes shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And Zechariah 12 shows us that they're, they're going to rejoice when Christ returns to save them. But they're not going to see him again until that time. And they will say when they see him, he's going to come with the clouds, and all eyes will see him. And they that pierced him will rejoice, and the rest of the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will wail. John says they will wail because of him. So he's going to come and he's going to punish the rest of the tribes of the earth. But he's coming to save his people after he uses the tribes of the earth to punish his people. And then they'll say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And it came to pass, in chapter 14, verse 1, and it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. So it seems like this was a custom that after the teaching in the synagogue, you would then go to one of the homes to eat, to have a meal. So one of the chief Pharisees, and remember, uh, there's, there's 11 in the Pharisees. So one of the chief Pharisees, so this is a very high-ranking official, uh, invited him to have a meal, and that they watched him. So they're studying him. They can't, they, they hate him. And he is contradicting them, he's embarrassing them, he's humiliating them. So they're watching him, and they want, they want to reverse this. They want to humiliate him. They want to embarrass him. They want to crush him. So they're watching him, they're analyzing him, every, every move, every word. So they're inviting him, he's like he's in, a, he's in a, a, an aquarium, and they're just watching him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. So again, people are following him. And so this man, I don't think this man would have been invited, but he's following Christ. And he had dropsy. Now, dropsy is a horrible disease. It's uh, something where the body just retains water, and people just bloat up in, in a most horrific way. And, and it's really, uh, it's a real disability. So just imagine someone who's just swollen with water. And Jesus answering spoke unto the lawyers and the Pharisees. So these are the scribes, the people who are skilled in the law. So this man needs healing. And they're watching him. So he doesn't just heal the man. Instead, Jesus answering, spoken to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? So they're watching him. The man needs healing. He, he's, he wants to heal the man. But they're watching him. So now he's going to, okay. I, I, I already had an interaction with the, the, synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue <clears throat> when I healed the woman who was bent over for 18 years. And now here we are with the chief of the Pharisees. And everyone else that's there is their guest and the lawyers and the other Pharisees. So he asked them, is it lawful? They're, they're skilled in the law. So I'm going to heal this man. Do you think I'm breaking the law? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. They wouldn't answer. They wouldn't answer. So this is quite a contest in terms of who knows the law better. So tell me, I'm going to heal this man. Is it, am I breaking the law? They held their peace. And he took him and healed him. And let him go. So this is just phenomenal. Somebody who's suffering from dropsy to be suddenly healed and able to then leave. And answer them saying, okay, so they, he knows what they're thinking. So 
before, he said to the other ruler of the synagogue that, you know, on the Sabbath, you'll actually loose your ox and take him to water and to feed on the Sabbath, and then you'll bring him back. But you resist that his daughter of Abraham would be healed. Now he goes further. And answer them saying, which of you shall have a donkey or an ox that falls into a pit and will not straight away pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now, this is extreme. Because these animals, particularly an ox, these are very heavy animals. A thousand pounds, two thousand pounds. This is not, this is, this is work. But if an ox or a, or a donkey falls into a pit, if they don't help that animal, it's going to starve to death. And that will be economic ruin for the family. And so it doesn't matter how big the animal is, it doesn't matter how heavy the animal is, if it falls into a pit, right away it's an emergency. They're going to get friends, neighbors, everybody, and just really break a sweat getting that animal out of the pit. But they'll do, and they'll do that on the side. It doesn't matter what day it is. And they could not answer him again to these things. Now, <laughs> Christ knows the law. And here in Exodus 23, verse 3 in the Torah, in Exodus 23, uh, beginning in verse 4, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. This is what the law says. And this is your enemy. He has a donkey or, or uh, an ox, and it's going astray. You stop what you're doing. And you find that donkey or you find that ox and you take it back to its owner. doesn't matter what day of the week. It's here in Luke, uh, back to Luke 14. So, and again, they, they themselves know and they probably have a situation where even their own ox, if it falls into a ditch, doesn't matter how much work and effort it is, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, they're helping that animal. Luke 14, verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those which were invited. When he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, remember, going back to Luke 12, verse 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so here we're having a Pharisaical party. And he's noticing how these Pharisees, when they come to the chief priest, and he's at the head of the table, uh, when he looks at those who were invited, when he marked how they chose out the chief rooms, so they, they're all about ego. This is the leaven. And, and, and where they sit and who they sit with and who's associated with them, all of this has implications. And so they're all there making a name for themselves. And so he said unto them, When you were invited by any man to a wedding, don't sit down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be invited as well. And the more honorable man is Christ. So where they're all sitting, we, where, where does Christ sit? So Christ is invited as well. But there's, you know, like, where do I sit? But here, they should have recognized who he was. And the person who invited him should have actually asked that that special seat be given to Christ, that seat of honor. Lest the more honorable man than you be invited as well. And he that invited you and the more honorable guest come and say to you, give this man place. And you begin with shame to take the lowest room. So everybody's watching where you were seated. They thought you were somebody. And then the the, get, the host has to come to you and say, can you please move? Because there's somebody more honorable than you. And then everybody's watching your shame. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest room. And when he that invited you come, he may say unto you, friend, go up higher. 
Then you shall have worship or honor and glory in the presence of them that sit at the table with you. So, you know, you're sitting there at the table and we're all thinking we're of a similar uh, rank and whatever, we're furthest away, we're, we're just happy to be there. And, and you're there sitting among us. And then the host of the, of the party comes, taps you on the shoulder in front of all of us and says, please come up here and sit up here. That's how you should conduct yourself. And if they knew the scriptures, Proverbs 25, verse 6 says, put not forth yourself in the presence of the king and stand not in the place of great men. That's not how you should conduct yourself. Be humble. Beware of the leaven. Be humble. Don't puff yourself up. And that's what leaven, I should explain what leaven is, but maybe some people don't know what it is. Leaven is yeast. And uh, it's used in bread. You, you mix it with uh, warm water uh, and uh, in the flour. And then you give it a bit of sugar, and it's, it's, it's a living organism, and it feeds on the sugar. And as it digests that sugar, it gives off gas. And as it gives off gas in its digestive process, it causes the bread to swell. So leaven is a symbol of pride, because this is what happens to us. We, we feed on the things that are sweet to us, that, that are sweet to our ego, and that causes us to swell with pride. And so this is the danger of leaven. So I should have explained that. And, and here now he explains now in Luke 14, 11, again, this is going all the way back to Luke 12, 1, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is obviously verse 11. For whosoever exalts himself shall be humiliated, but he that humbled himself shall be exalted. So these are very powerful words from our Lord. He tells his disciples and us by extension, beware. Beware. We all have egos. Be careful. This is what the, the woman comes in secret. And she puts leaven in all three meals. Be careful. Our ego is our ruin. So let's make sure that we are humble. We take the lowest seats. We go to the lowest rooms. And if then God says, oh, please come up here. Then, wow, wonderful. But we, within, within the house of God, are we going to exalt ourselves? We will be humiliated publicly. So let us not exalt ourselves in the house of God. Because that is of the devil. And, and we know that because in Isaiah 14 and verse 12, it asks the question, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer was right up there in heaven, right, served, right in God's throne room, serving God. But he fell. How did this happen, Lucifer, son of the morning? How were you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? And here's the answer. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So here's the exaltation. But whoever exalts himself will be abased. Verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. So this pride comes from the devil. And if we are acting out of pride, the, the devil has sown this leaven inside our soul. So let us make sure that we are just here to glorify Jesus Christ. I, we don't care what people say about us, as long as the Lord is glorified. And any church, 
any religion, any ideology that is not humble, that's all about exalting itself and subjecting others, is of the devil. It is of the devil. Christ, God, is humble. And his followers are humble. And they are weary of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Verse 12 of Luke 14. Then said he also to them that bade him, so those that invited him, so now he's going to speak to them. When you make a dinner or a supper, do not call your friends, nor your brethren, nor your kinsmen, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you again, and a recompense be made you. Christ is calling them out, and he's showing his disciples the leaven of the Pharisees. He's looking at who was invited. He's looking at how they behave and how they look for the chief seats, and they're all there to promote themselves. It's, it's an opportunity for them to move up. And as they take this opportunity, they'll then return the favor. And Christ is saying, stop doing this. Don't do this. But when you make a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you. For you shall be recompensed or rewarded at the resurrection of the just. So if you are true in your walk with God, you're really serving him and serving his people. And so call the impoverished and call the ones who are disabled and, 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 and bless them. And God will bless you at the resurrection. Now again, he's just quoting the law. Deuteronomy 14, 28 shows us the spirit of the law. At the end of three years, you shall bring forth all the tithe of your increase the same year, and you shall lay it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no part nor inheritance with you, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, which are within your gates, shall come, and shall eat, and be satisfied. That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. So this is how God wants his people to have a charitable heart. And he actually instituted it with this tithing system so that the weak and the maim and the impoverished would be looked after. And then God will bless. So, so we don't need socialism. We don't need communism. We don't need all these people with all these highfalutin promises of how they're going to look after the poor. Christ says the poor you'll always have. What we do need is a heart that follows God, that has a heart of charity, that, 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 that looks forward to the resurrection and knows that God is coming with his reward. And so we will look after the poor. We don't, need the we don't need the government to keep getting bigger and bigger and more and more powerful with these promises that they look after the poor and then they slaughter 100 million people in the process. We don't need that. Luke 14, verse 15. And when one of them sat, in fact, just before I go on there, I was listening to one of these uh, jihadis, Muslim jihadis out of the UK, and he was saying how immoral it is that people have to work for food. That when Islam is properly instituted in the UK, no one will have to work for food. Everyone will be able to live and eat free. Well, how exactly will that work? Well, when we study their scriptures, we know how it works. That if you're not a Muslim, you'll be enslaved. And all of the slaves will do the work. And Muslims will not have to work. They'll eat free. And they'll live free off the backs, off the Kafirs, off the backs of the non-Muslims. So all of this is all pride. It's all, it, it has nothing to do with God. 
We don't need these, these, these promises that seduce people into allowing the devil to have his way. Luke 14, verse 15. And when one of them sat at dinner with him, heard these things, he said unto him, oh, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so he's listening to all of this, and then he says the most righteous thing, that you know what? To actually eat bread in the kingdom of God, that's truly being blessed. And he has some knowledge of the scripture because God, in Isaiah 25, verse 6, is in fact going to put on a banquet. And there will be a great meal in the kingdom of God. And Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 25, verse 6. He says, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the leaves, a fat, of fat things full of marrow, of, of wine on the leaves well refined, so really high-quality wine. And again, if you keep the holy days, and we've just finished observing the Feast of Tabernacles in the last great day, we just dive into these, these themes and this, these, this plan of God deeper and deeper. If you're keeping Christmas and Halloween and Valentine's Day and Easter, you have no idea what God is doing. But as we keep the holy days of God, we come to understand what his plan is. And so this gentleman understood that God, in fact, is going to host a banquet in the kingdom of God. And he's saying, you know what? Blessed are those that are invited to that meal. Right on. He really understood. Now, Christ didn't say, didn't react to him the way I would. I would have said, wow, that is insightful. Well done. Christ didn't do that. In Luke 14, verse 16, then said Christ unto him. So listen to Christ's response to him, because he's saying to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So here, this man sounds so holy. And Christ is saying, all of this is an illusion. All of these people are hypocrites. They are appearing to be righteous, but they are full of evil. And so rather than congratulate the man or commend the man, Christ says this. Luke 14, verse 16. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and invited many. So this is the feast that Isaiah spoke of, that God is going to host this great feast. So Christ picks up on that and says, Okay, you want to talk about the feast that God, you want to talk about eating in the kingdom of God? Let's talk about that. A certain man made a great supper and invited many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. Remember, the kingdom of God is like leaven. That a woman came and hid in all three measures of meal, and then it just overtook them. So now, God is ready to have this banquet, and he invites them, and in verse 18, and they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. They were pretending. They, they, they really did not have their heart in the kingdom of God. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I have to go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go and prove them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, 
So you both, blessed are they that will eat in the kingdom of God. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind, so the halt being the crippled, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges. So forget all these people that, that are in this religious system and, and think they have anything to do with the kingdom of God. This is all the leaven that has taken them over. Go out and invite the poor and, and the maimed and the halt and the crippled. And that's who Christ was going around healing. And they were responding then to the, the, the calling. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So now he's going out to the Gentiles and compelling the Gentiles to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were invited shall taste of my supper. So, oh, blessed are they that one day will eat in the kingdom of God and look at us in our fine robes and we're just so religious and look where we sit, we must be really important. I say unto you, that none of those men which were invited shall taste of my supper. And this is where he began in the last, last week. He said, uh, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is, this is, you have to understand what's going on here. Yes, God has selected a people. Yes, God is working with those people. But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It is overtaking his people. There's going to be weeping and gnashing. This is to be careful of anybody who teaches you once saved, always saved. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's why, again, it, it's all, it, it all began when there was this great multitude. God is looking at this. It knew we could, you couldn't count them. They were, they were trampling on top of one another. And he turned to his disciples and said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In other words, he's looking at the crowd and he's saying, this is, this is a disaster. All of these, he sees the souls of men, and they're all running after him, and there's so much, such a big crowd, he just turns to his disciples and says, beware, because the kingdom of God is like leaven. Verse 25, Luke 14. Now, notice this now, in Luke 14, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. So he, he always is attracting this crowd. So now, we have Great multitudes, Luke 14, verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him. This is just, he's just attracting crowds. And at this time of the great multitudes following him, he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So at first, when all the crowd was around him, he turned to his disciples and said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now the crowd is all around to them, and he addresses the crowds. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And now we, we just want to define the word hate before we go on here. It really means to love less. It doesn't mean that you actually hate, because the way of God is not about hate. The way of God is about love. 
It means that Christ is such a priority in your life that you're not going to come to him and say, you know what, I've just got married. Please excuse me. I, I just bought five oxen. Please excuse me. You know, I just brought some land, and I, that, that's my priority right now, so, so please excuse me. You can't be my disciple if that's the way you think. You need to understand what this is. It begins as a grain of a mustard seed, the smallest beginning. But you have to understand what it's going to become. And you have to have a vision of what this kingdom of God is. And once you have that vision, it's the pearl of great price. You cast everything else away so that you can obtain this pearl of great price. So if any, so he's speaking now to the crowd. Look, you want to follow me? If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is a spiritual war. This, you need to understand, if you're going to follow Christ, if I'm going to follow Christ, we need to understand what we're involved in. It is a spiritual war. And it is won not by destroying, not by killing, not by beheading, not by hatred. It is won through love. Christ, when he came to earth, he loved Israel so much, he came to redeem Israel, that he came to live as the perfect Israelite. He's, he's called the suffering servant in Isaiah. He came to live by every word of God perfectly, so that he would be the perfect Israelite. And then he went to the cross. There was no sin in him. And so, according to the law, he can now inherit the land. The, the covenant is about people and land, and a relationship with God in a specific plot of land. So now that he has, has fulfilled all the terms and conditions of the covenant, he has a right, a legal right to the land. But rather than take the land, he took the cross. The cross, that excruciating pain that he suffered is what Israel deserved. And so God is now able to bring Israel into the land without being unrighteous, without breaking his law. Because in, in Christ is the Israelite who fulfills the law and is able to rightfully and legally obtain the land. So Israel, if they repent, and accept Christ as their Savior, they can now come into the land through Christ. But at the same time, Israel must be punished. And so Christ is taking all of that punishment that they deserve upon himself. And he loved Israel so much that when it came time to go to Jerusalem and, and be crucified, he didn't even open his mouth. He was the lamb that went to the slaughter. Because he loved Israel, now Israel must love him. And any Gentiles that are grafted into Israel, we must love him. And it is this love that enables us to bear our cross. And so whatever happens, we are just going to do what God says. Whatever happens, happens, and we will bear our cross, and we'll accept it.
because of this, then we understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So we are not here telling you, as the false ministers do, that when you accept Christ, everything is going to go so well. Your, your, your problems with your budget, I know you, you know at the end of the month you're trying to balance your books and there's not quite enough money. Well, if you accept Christ and if you send me money, all of that's going to go away and you're going to be rich. This is evil. It's false. It's nonsense. Christ is very clear. If you're going to be his disciple, you need to be ready to bear your cross because we are in a spiritual war. And the way we win this war is through love. And so when Satan brought his worst to Christ, because of love, Christ succeeded. At the very moment when, when Satan was full of hatred and destroyed Christ, that is the moment that Satan lost. And that's the moment of Christ's victory. And in the same way as we follow Christ as Christians, when Satan's puppets bring their worst hatred toward us, Christ says, don't fear them that can kill the body. And afterwards, they can't do anything else. So when Satan's puppets bring their worst hatred to us, that's the moment of our victory. We cannot fail. So whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now listen to this. I want to listen to this very carefully. Verse 28. So the point is, if we're not willing to bear our cross, we cannot be his disciple. If we're not going to put him first, we cannot be his disciple. Now he's going to explain. You need to understand why. So he's going to explain this. Verse 28. Well, which of you, if, if it were, like put yourself in my shoes. So you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to bear your cross. You can't be my disciple unless I'm your highest priority. Or, think, put yourself in my shoes. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts the cost? Whether he has sufficient to finish it. Like, come on, guys. If you were going to build something, wouldn't you make sure that you have the resources? and the money to finish it, lest happily, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. So this is a very public thing. You know, you're driving by and you see this uh, construction site and the foundation is laid and you say, wow, there's going to be a big building here. Maybe they even have pictures of what the building is going to look like when it's finished. And then all of a sudden, the building stops. And you're like, what, what happened? And you're driving by, maybe a month has gone by, and there's been no activity. And then you finally ask, like, what, 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 what happened? There was going to be such a beautiful building here. Oh, the builder ran out of money. <laughs> he, he couldn't finish. He's, he's abandoned the project, and it's now for sale. Do you want to buy it? We're, we're selling it for pennies on the dollar. It's, it's public. We, you, you declared that you were going to build this building, but you didn't count the cost, and now you're not able to finish it. So he says here, verse 30, saying, this man began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. What a fool. And then he says also, or what king going to make war against another king? So Christ is making it clear. He's a builder and he's a king. He's building the kingdom of God. But in building the kingdom of God, which starts as a mustard seed, it's going against the evil woman, which throws leaven in all three measures of meal. And these contradictory forces are now in battle. So the king, going to make war against another king, that is the devil, so Christ is going to make war against the devil, sits not down first and consults whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. The devil is serious. 
He's bringing everything he has to destroy and to prevent the kingdom of God, which Christ is building. So Christ is not going to enter into this battle knowing what Satan is going to bring against. You know, it starts as a mustard seed and it's going to grow from there. But it's not it's not everybody. It's, you know, these mega churches that you see, false churches. It's actually going to be a small flock. So he says, you know, you, you wouldn't do this, would you? You wouldn't go to war and you don't know your resources and whether or not they're, you, 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 with your few resources, you can conquer the king that has more resources than you. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, you would send an embassy, uh, an ambassador, and desire conditions of peace. It's like, you know, okay, this is going to be a slaughter. Rather than lose all my men, let's try to negotiate. What, what do you want? How can we be your, your subjects? Let's, let's not bother with the battle. You guys have won. You've got 20,000 resources. We only have 10. Uh, how can we work this out? I, I'm not going to fight you. We're just, we're, I'm going to lose anyway. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsakes not all he has, he cannot be my disciple. You need to understand what you're getting involved in if you say you want to follow Christ. You know, it's very much like uh, Gideon's army. That's what Christ's kingdom is like Gideon's army. Going back to Judges 7, if we just recount that story, the Lord said unto Gideon in verse 4 of Judges 7, and the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water. So these people were very fearful. They had to fight their enemy. Uh, but God is saying, okay, you got 20,000 soldiers there. It's too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will test them for you there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto you, this shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomsoever I say unto you, this shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So Christ is not trying to win all the disciples he can. He's actually turning to the multitude and saying, hold, hold your horses. You want to be my disciple? Here are the conditions. So in the same way with Gideon, all these people say, okay, we'll go to battle. Christ, God says it's too many. I'll tell you who will go to battle. Verse 5, so he brought down the people into the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that laps of the water with his tongue as a dog laps, that's the one that you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone that bows down upon his knees to drink, and the Lord and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all of the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. So what God is looking for here in terms of going to the battle is how big a priority is, is it for you to fight for the kingdom? So those that Fighting for the kingdom was their highest priority. When it came time to uh, get get a bit of refreshment, it's like, okay, let's do this as quickly as possible. So they simply just uh, quickly, like a dog laps, they just put some water in their hand, get, get the water in their mouth, and then they're off. Then they're off. The others are like, let's get comfortable here and kind of sit down and crouch down and make sure that we are comfortable so that we can really have a nice time refreshing ourselves. And God rejected them. And the Lord said unto Gideon, by the 300 men, so he starts with 20,000, but by the 300 men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So he's not eager 
to uh, recruit these soldiers that are distracted, that are not committed. God just needs a small number of committed disciples. And so this big multitude is following him, and he's like, okay, if you cannot, uh, if you're not truly committed to this, then don't bother. Don't bother. So just a couple of scriptures um, before we uh, get our colleagues on the, on the line here. Uh, in, in Matthew 10, verse 34, he says, Do not think that I am come to send peace on the earth. I did not come to send peace, but a sword. And so the, those that are leavened are going to pick up the sword. And his disciples will bear their cross. And in Matthew 12, verse 50, he says, Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. So God is not, he's not, come everybody, everybody's fine, I'll take you as you are. There are conditions. And the key condition is our commitment. And, and are, are we willing to fight for the kingdom of God? And it's a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual battle. But in order to succeed, nothing comes before God. In fact, in Revelation, it says that these saints who are successful over the beast power, he says of them, they loved not their life unto the death. And so that's why Christ says that, you know, if you don't hate your mother and father and husband or wife or children and your own life also. So that's why he says, beware of the leaven. Because if we are leavened, then we are, we are idol worshipers. And the idol is ourself. And we put ourself before all. And so if our self is threatened, either by insult or injury, then we react and we've got to, we've got to uh, exalt ourselves. And Christ is saying, look, beware of the leaven. If you're not willing to be completely unleavened, then you cannot be my disciple. So with that, we'll stop for, uh, actually, uh, no, there's just a couple of verses to finish off uh, Luke 14, verse 34. Uh, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? So the disciples of Christ, if we allow leaven into our lives, how can we be unleavened when we're supposed to be the unleavened? So salt is that which preserves. It has many beautiful characteristics. But if it loses its essence, then how do you season the salt with salt? It, it becomes useless. And that's what he said. It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Christ is serious. This is a very serious endeavor. It's a very serious initiative. So if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And if you do want to find out more about this ministry and our teachings and our doctrines, uh, please write to us, info at cgi.org. Info at cgi.org and ask for information about God's holy days. Ask for information about what salvation truly is. Find, ask us any questions that you have about God's word and about his Bible. And let's truly seek the Lord and truly endeavor to be the disciples that he's looking for. So normally I'll play a little bit of music at this point while I get my colleagues on the line. But uh, for some reason I just have a technical problem and I can't... Uh, I uh, can't play that music, so I'm just going to I'm just going to uh, call, get, get them now. So just bear with me while I get them on the line. I join the conference call here.
hopefully uh, you found that uh, study informative and helpful and it will uh, inspire you to search the scriptures here a little there a little and uh, really understand the word of God So we'll just uh, hang on there while we wait for our participants. Hopefully we will have some participants this week. Uh, in the meantime, I'll just talk a little bit more about that, that tail end of uh, Luke 14, which is so important. In fact, when he says that, you know, we must hate or love less any family member, that he must be the highest priority, it actually is an allusion back to Exodus. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 25, this was the period where Moses went up to receive the law, and he took longer than the people expected. And while he was gone, the people got involved in some awful debauchery. And so in, Luke, in Exodus 32 and verse 25, it says, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, Uh, so it says here, Exodus 32, verse 25, And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, and really the sense there is that he didn't prevent them from doing this in the presence of their enemies. He allowed them to participate in this, even though he was the priest. So Moses saw that the people were naked, they were unrestrained, and that what that means is they were involved in debauchery. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So, so these Levites had to put God first. These people had given themselves wholeheartedly over to, to evil. And these Levites had to be on the Lord's side. In verse 28, Exodus 32, And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. So this is uh, what Christ is saying. This is a spiritual battle. This is spiritual war. And there's going, to be a come, there's going to come a time when God is going to come and punish the wickedness in this earth. And in fact, Jude talks about this in Jude 14. He says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. So here's the war. Here's the battle. And Jude, uh, Enoch saw it. And so Christ is, not, Christ is not going into this warfare. He's not going into this battle to lose. And he's going to bring those with him. Who are going to come as as warriors with him to put down evil but we're going to do that in our resurrected state in our human state we're going to bear our cross and let those who are full of pride be the ones with the sword in this in this time we're going to be humble and follow christ he says behold the lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all 
and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So we see there very clearly how in this battle, and uh, actually brings to mind uh, Ephesians as dear children, and walk in love. So this is bearing the cross. And even inside our, our fellowships, inside our congregations, there may be times when, you know, our, our, our ego is hurt and we want to flex our muscles and exalt ourselves. But no, no, no. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us. So the same way that Christ went to the cross, that's how we love one another. And has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, that is porneia, any kind of sexual immorality, and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as appropriate for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. In other words, it's a disaster for a saint to be involved in these things. Instead, giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, that is somebody who loves prostitution, someone who loves sexual immorality, no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater. So all of these things, any, any form of sexual immorality is idolatry. Because the union between a man and a woman in marriage is a reflection of God's holiness. And so to go outside of marriage is, is perversion and idolatry. I, 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 I'm just going to wrap up here and then we'll be able to get into our conversation. Uh, so anyone who's an idolater does not have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So this is why we must put him first. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because it's because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Be not you therefore partakers with them. So sounds like we have one of our sisters on the line. Hi there, who's this? I, I thought I heard somebody on the line. I must be mistaken. So I, I apologize, we did have a little bit of technical difficulty this week with uh, the music that we normally play, and also now with, uh, with the conference line. But hopefully you were able to follow along with the study and you found it beneficial. So we'll, uh, we'll finish here, and uh, we'll, we'll just ask God to bless you and be with you. And uh, just remember that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ is King. Do you want to be his disciple? Make that commitment. God bless.